Well, thank you for being here this good Friday. My name is Matthew Hargett. If you don't know who I am, I am the student pastor here. Fun fact about me, I always use this as a way to break the ice, but my name, Matthew, is spelled with one T. I don't know why my parents decided it would be a great idea to give me a very common and very popular name, but misspell it on purpose so people would always ask me, is that really your name? Is that really how you spell Matthew? What's wrong with your parents? So it's my lasting legacy that was placed upon me by my parents. But um, I've been here since July of 2019 and our family moved here. We just love Charlotte. We love Good Shepherd. Someone asked me, are you nervous to get up here on Good Friday? I said, absolutely not, because this is the friendliest church and the friendliest crowd. And I'm so happy and grateful. And so thank you, Talbot and leadership for honoring me by letting me come up here and speak on this Good Friday. Well, I mentioned something about my family. So I've been married to my wife, Jessica. It'll be 12 years this June. So we're excitedly looking forward to our anniversary. I hope I, hopefully I got that right. She's watching at home because we have, <laughs> she's watching. So she'll be fact checking all of this. But um, we have two boys and that's why she's at home. We have two boys, they're six and three. We just got done camping as a family. But when people ask me, they're like, how old are your boys? And I say six and three. One of the first things they say is, wow, isn't that such a fun age? And you know what I say? Absolutely. Someone just said no, but absolutely <laughs> it is. It is one of the best ages because you get to see their imagination run wild. And pray for my wife, Jessica, because she has to be with three boys, not just two boys, three boys. Let's be honest. I mean, I am a student pastor. So if you know anything about student pastors, it's not the best. And one thing that we love in our house, again, three boys, not just two, is we love Marvel Comics. We love all the movies. We're big fans of all of that. And in our family, one superhero is just a cut above the rest. And that man goes by a name called Spider-Man. And our sons love him. I mean, our, our oldest, he loves Spider-Man. My youngest son has taken it to a fanatical level. Yes, that's Spider-Man playing baseball. Because in his mind, Spider-Man does literally everything. It's gotten to the point, one day he... Not one day, let's just say one month, one week. I don't know how long it was. Every day, as soon as he got home, first thing he did, he ran, not walked, ran up the stairs and he would take off his clothes and put on his PJs and say, I'm Spider-Man because that's how serious it was to him. He wore that costume everywhere. In fact, his preschool teachers, we had a parent-teacher conference. They said, your son's great, we love him. But he showed up at school today and told us, I'm not Henry, I am Spider-Man. You can call me Peter Parker. And to his credit, <laughs> to his credit, for the entire day, they would say, Henry, come over here. Peter Parker, come over here. <laughs> that was the only way they said they could get him to respond was if they called him Peter Parker. I see Lori Burke over there. She saw us one day eating lunch. She comes by our table and says, hey, Spider-Man, because that's his nickname. That's his M.O. And isn't it fun when kids do that? Because my oldest did that, my youngest, he's taken it to a fanatical level. But it made me think about, as funny as that is and as cute as it is to see kids and the costumes they wear and the way they dress themselves up, I kind of thought about for myself, man, as an adult, I kind of do that. It just doesn't look as funny or cute. I'm a little bit more sophisticated about the costumes and the masks and the idols that I kind of cover myself up in, the things that I clothe myself in. Because maybe I can be tent, I hate to admit this, but I can tend sometimes exaggerate. If you ask me a question about how well I did on something, I might just exaggerate just a tad, or I might be tempted to wear something a little bit nicer to impress you and to speak in a way where I sound a little bit more sophisticated and educated than I really am. 
And we can do that as adults, right? We might just fudge a little bit about our resume or in those dinner conversations. Because the truth is, all of us probably have something that we kind of hide ourselves behind or cover ourselves up with. It's just not as cute as when kids do it. And I love this pastor. It's a pastor, Tim Keller. He was a pastor for a long time in New York City. He moved there and he just had a heart for people to understand the gospel and to really understand it and grasp it and to do it in a way that changed their lives. And here's what he says about our current culture because I think he just brilliantly talks about our culture. To contemporary and sophisticated people, you didn't know that I was contemporary and sophisticated, like ourselves, the word idolatry conjures up pictures of primitive people bowing down before statues. Our contemporary society is not fundamentally different from these ancient ones. It's not that different. Each culture is dominated by its own set of idols. Each has its priesthoods, its totems and rituals. Each one has its shrine whether office towers, spas, gyms, studios, we might put social media in there, or stadiums where sacrifices must be made in order to procure the blessings of the good life and ward off disasters. I don't know if you've ever been to a sports game, but you'll see that. Hold your mouth right. I remember my dad would say that when we'd go see the Cubs. Hold your mouth right. It just wasn't working for 108 years. We've got to procure the blessings of the good life and ward off disasters. Where are the gods of beauty, power, money, and achievement? But these same things that have assumed mythic proportions in our individual lives and in our society, we may not physically kneel before the statue of Aphrodite, but many young women today are driven into depression and eating disorders by an obsessive concern over their body image. We may not actually burn incense to Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions, we perform a kind of child sacrifice, neglecting family and community to achieve a higher place in business and gain more wealth and prestige. It's so true of our society. And the question as I was reading this quote, I was like, why do we do that? Why do I do that in my life? Why do I try to cover myself up? Why do I try to hide behind some of my weaknesses? And why do I try to pretend to be better than I really am? And I think for all of us, it's really in Genesis 3, the original sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, right, the, the snake comes and says, hey, God's holding out on you. There's got to be more than what you're getting right now. And so they fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. And they eat the apple. And what happens immediately after they eat the apple? They see themselves naked, ashamed. And what do they do? They run and they hide. And I don't know about you. But I believe a lot of us probably have had a moment that's similar like that in our lives. And I can remember one of those moments for me, I'm, there's probably tons of moments where I've tried to hide my insecurity. But one in particular, when I was in eighth grade, it's already awkward enough when you're in middle school, you got the pimples coming out, you're tripping over your own feet, things are happening to your body that we can't talk about on stage, it's a family service. But you're just, it's all confusing. And I remember though at that point, your, your life is changing. And I remember I was in class and another boy came up to me and he said, what's wrong with your clothes? And I was like, uh, they seem fine to me. I, don't, I have no idea. He said, oh, I know. They're dirty, they're ragged. They're not named brand, they're old. That's because you're poor. And I can remember for the first time, I had no idea. We grew up in a trailer park, everything was fine. We played with all the other kids and it never occurred to me to that moment. And in that moment, what did I wanna do? I wanted to run. 
I wanted to hide. I wanted to pretend to be anybody but me. And I wanted to get away as fast as I could. And I think for a lot of us, we, probably, we could probably think of similar moments in our lives. I've heard stories over the years. I heard one, one young man, he said that his dad left his family. And when his dad left, his mother got a new boyfriend. Turned out he was an alcoholic abuser. And he said when he got older, I will never let that happen to me again. I will become so strong that no one will ever be able to do that to anyone that I love in my life again. Or maybe it's another family where the parents have a talk. You're not measuring up. You're not doing as good in school as everyone else. You, and they probably were doing well, this person I knew him pretty well, but you've got to do better. You've got to be better than everyone else. And so what does that do? And what is that message? And where does that drive us? Do more, be more, achieve more, work harder, be more, cover yourself up, cover yourself because you're not good enough as you are. And there are really high stakes to this message that I'm talking about tonight because we've got a whole generation of young people as I've been looking at the research where the one word that they use to describe themselves is usually not enough. And so there's a lot at stake because where are they learning this message from? Moms, dads, parents, grand grandparents, they're learning it from us. Who are they looking to to lead them? Us. So there's a lot at stake tonight when we're talking about this. And tonight, I wanna challenge you to think about, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way than what we're doing. There's got to be a better way than covering ourselves and hiding ourselves up, pretending like everything's okay when it's not really okay. And it leads me to think about the cross on this Good Friday. First Corinthians 1.18, what it says here. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We don't follow an Americanized version of Jesus. We follow a crucified savior who bled and died for us on the cross. And it's by his wounds that we are healed. And when Paul's talking about this message of the cross, what is it? Can we stop following an Americanized, idealized version of successful Jesus and realize that we follow a crucified savior? This is a message of the cross. And to the world, it's foolishness. But to those who are following it, it's salvation. It makes me think about in Mark 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And I love this story. I love the disciples and I love the Bible. It's just so real and raw. And what the things that it tells us, it's like, who wrote this? Because I would never want anyone to write this down for all of humanity to read. Mark 10, 35 through 45, it says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Don't you love that? Before we get this out, Jesus, hey, hey, we just do whatever we want. Don't ask us what we're, don't ask what we're about to ask. Just like give us what we want and we'll let you know on the back end. Just promise, say yes before you can say no. That's so amazing that that's in the Bible. Hey, just do what we want. Don't worry about the consequences. Don't worry about what it is, Jesus. Just give it to us. They reply, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He's got to ask, come on. He asked, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Make us powerful, make us strong. One of us should sit at your left. One of, one of us should sit at your right. 
Make us glorious, make us powerful, make the world worship us, make us successful. That's what we want. And that's what we can come to Jesus sometimes for. A man who never had an army, a man who was born in a stable. Think about that. As we celebrate Good Friday, this is a savior that we follow, not one who covered himself in glory. Talbot, I have bad news for you before I read this quote. I didn't know who this was, but it was such a great quote. It's an early tennis player in the 80s and 90s. That would sounded even worse. <laughs> Chris Everett. And apparently she was really great. I, I hate to break the news to Talbot. I don't want you to rush the stage, but Talbot's kind of down here. And from what I understand, Chris Everett's like way up here when it comes to tennis playing. That just, they're just not on the same level. <laughs> so Talbot, make sure you stay seated. <laughs> but here's what Chris Everett had to say. This person who is at the pinnacle of success. I had no idea who I was or what I could be away from tennis. I was depressed and afraid because so much of my life had been defined by being a tennis champion. I was completely lost. Winning made me feel like I was somebody. It made me feel pretty. It was like being hooked on a drug. I needed the wins, the applause, in order to have an identity. Hear that again. It was like being hooked on a drug. I needed the wins, the applause, in order to have an identity. That's what's at stake when we're talking about what, are, what we're covering ourselves up with. What's underneath here? Who are you underneath all that that you're hiding yourself behind? What are you covering yourself up? What are you hoping is going to save you? Going on, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, you can bet they were indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them power over others. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we're talking about the way of the cross, we're not talking about glory and power, honor me, make me successful, make me powerful. We're talking about a savior who suffered and died on the cross and said, I did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Life isn't about me and what I can accomplish and what I can do, it's what I can do for others. And the way of the cross invites us to lay ourselves down before the cross and to take off our masks and realize this, because what you're hoping for, what you think you're going to accomplish, you're never gonna get there. There's always gonna be more. There's, a, there's always just gonna be more er. There's gonna be better, bigger, faster, stronger all the time. That's how it works. And what you're hoping for, you can never earn and you can never accomplish. It can only be achieved for you. In 1 John 3, 1, it says this, see what great love the Father has lavished 
on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. There's only one person who can give you the identity that you need and give you the change that you really need in your life. And that is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can give you that. You see, your value will never come from what you accomplish. It will only come from what he achieved for you. Before you can even say a word, he already has loved you. He has already chosen you and you are enough and you belong to him. And what if we decided that is our anthem? We're not gonna be defined by the values of this world, but we're gonna be defined by what he achieved on the cross for us. The world can't give you that type of value. It doesn't know you. It's kind of funny thinking about this because when I was growing up, it was always a threat. I grew up Baptist and we love our Baptist brothers and sisters, but it was always like, the Lord knows everything that you do. He knows everything that you say. Absolutely true. It was, as a, it was used as a threat when I was a child. But as I've become an adult, I realize that's how good God is. He sees everything that I do. He sees everything that I hide. He sees all my worst days. He sees all my most selfish and evil thoughts. And he still says, I love you. I love you. And you are a child of mine. And you belong to me. No matter what you accomplish, you can't, that will never give you value. Your value can only come from what he achieved for you. And I had to realize this. When I was um, 16, it's funny going back and thinking about things when you're 16, but I told you about that fateful encounter when I was in eighth grade. And so that kind of stuck with me. And so that year, right before my birthday, about a week before my birthday, I went to a beach retreat for the first time. And it was there that I accepted Christ. It was there that I realized that I needed Jesus and I needed to make him Lord of my life. And when I got back home, I knew this, I wanted to change. And so out of all places, I started looking to the world after that encounter with Christ. And I knew that I needed some nicer clothes. So I got a job making the big bucks at Burger King, making a whopper of a check. At the time, I think minimum wage was about five. Thank you for the two people that laughed at that joke. But I was making 5.15 an hour. That was minimum wage. And I remember that whole summer, I hustled anything you wanted me to do. I was working the drive-through. I was working the cash register. I was in the kitchen flipping burgers. I was washing toilets. Not at the same time I was flipping burgers. But whatever they needed, I was there. I was jotting on the spot. And I was working all summer to bring home the money and I saved and scrimped everything I had. And this is how long, it, long ago it is or was, it definitely dates me. So at the end of the summer, the week before school, I got all my money together. I went to the mall, if you can believe that, because that was at the time where you went. And I remember I went and spent every single dime that I had saved. It would be laughable now to try and impress the students and to impress anybody with the brands that I bought that I thought were just like so important at the time that, you know, I thought that name on the shirt was gonna give me value. That was what was gonna make it. And I'm wondering how many of us, we think our title is gonna give us value or our bank statement, what the likes are or the comments are on social media. It's gonna be laughable to think about what that's gonna be like in 10 years, guys. It's laughable to think about what I thought was so important at 16 now, and I realize how foolish it was. And I remember I got home, went through my first week of school. If you know me, you know that I'm probably the neatest person alive. I shouldn't say that was a lie. 
but I am the least conscientious, the least neat person. And so I went through my first week of school and I was just so excited to have these clothes and I, and I washed them. And somehow I left a pen in the front pocket of these new expensive clothes that I had worked all summer to get. And I, they got through the washing machine, transferred them to the dryer. I love the audible gas. <laughs> Thank you, that makes me feel good because you know where this is going. And I remember I opened the dryer drawer and there, every, which shows you that was the entire load of clothes. All the clothes I bought were in that one load. And I opened the dryer drawer and every single piece of clothing that I had bought that summer ruined right there. And I promise you, because I was 16, it was devastating. <laughs> it was the worst moment at that point. And I can remember, I just prayed selfishly, like, Lord, why? Like, I worked for this. I've given my life to you. Like, why would you allow this to happen to me? And what a selfish prayer. <laughs> but I was like, Lord, like, I... I'm working for you. Like, I want to be a part of your kingdom. Like, how could you have done this to me? And I remember God just spoke to me. I'm not too crazy, but I just felt that still small voice. Matthew, your value doesn't come from these. Your value doesn't come from these clothes that you put on. That's the outside. Man looks at the outside, but I look at the heart. And the real change that you want it's not gonna be found in clothes. It's gonna be found in what you put in here, and that's me, and the way that you trust me, and the way that you value me and make you Lord of your life. And I can just remember that became a defining moment for me. I don't wanna be defined by the world. The values of the world, they come and go. But what Jesus puts in our heart and what he's accomplished at the cross, that's eternal. That's true. Your value can never come from anything that you accomplish in this world. It can only come from what he achieved on the cross for you. And in a moment, as the band comes up, we're about to have a moment where you're gonna get to worship at the foot of the cross. And we want you to have a real and living and powerful encounter with the cross. And what happens next is gonna be up to you are you willing to be honest with yourself? So many times now we're just numbing ourselves. We're not facing the real us. We're watching one more Netflix show, binging one more thing, filling ourselves up with mindless entertainment. Are we gonna be real about what we're hiding behind? Are we gonna be real about what we think is making us less than? Remember what I said, there's a whole generation of young people at stake. We've turned this next generation, we've almost turned them into an achievatron. Their families used to be a safe place for them to be from the pressures of the world. And now families have turned into a place where kids are pressured the most to succeed and to achieve and to find value. Are we gonna be defined by the world, worldly values? Or are we gonna be defined by the cross? Your value can never confront anything that you accomplish in this world, only from what he achieved for you. Be a son, be a daughter. Let your value be placed upon that. Let's pray. Our most gracious heavenly Father, God, I thank you for every person that's here. Lord, I pray tonight that we would understand the way of the cross and the power and the beauty and the majesty and be in awe of what you've done for each and every one of us on the cross. God, you see us on our worst days, our lowest moments, when we say the worst things. And 
God, you still say, I love you. You're valuable to me. Remind us of that unchanging truth. Lord, you are a firm foundation. God, all our hope is in you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the joy said before you endured the cross. May we follow your example, the suffering servant. You gave up power. You gave up glory for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.